Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. It is great to be with you here today. Welcome to those of you who are in the house here in Lexington. A welcome to those of you who are in any of our other venues back in Wilmington, my home, uh, East Lexington, uh, Watertown, and now Foxborough. If you are listening to us up in Amherst, we say hello to you as well, as well as anyone who is vacationing by a lake somewhere watching us on a computer screen. Well, we are, uh, it's so good to be here. I'm Tom Van Antwerp and the campus pastor at the Wilmington campus. I wonder as we begin, I, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you thought deeply about your life? When was the last time you thought deeply about your life? I mean, those meaningful moments when you, when you put things on hold long enough. And when you back up far enough and you begin to evaluate where you've been, where you are currently, and maybe where you're going, and where you've been able to ask the question, who am I becoming as I make my way through this thing we call life? Now for you, maybe it's a regular practice. Maybe it could be that you have a journal that is your go-to companion during times of reflection. Uh, you might be a part of a Bible study or a small group or a life community that, uh, that, that meets frequently to air out important questions and to dive in in ways that are honest and meaningful. And maybe you're one who starts your day with a time of quiet before the Lord and with him, uh, reading scriptures and spending time in prayer, uh, going deep before you kind of surface again and run across the scurry of the busy and hectic pace of life that you often live. Well, I find that in this world of digital distraction, especially nowadays, where we have Facebook and Instagram and 24-7 news stations that we can consume anytime we want, that those moments of quiet and reflection uh, are harder to, and harder to come by and given up more easily, we more easily allow them to slip through our fingers. Uh, Socrates once famously said, that the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And if that's true, for many of us, we find, our way, we, we find ourselves making our way through life, but we truly wonder if we're even really living after all. Well, for the next six weeks, we hope to change all of that for you. Are you ready? For the next six weeks, we want to encourage you, everyone at Grace, to take some time to do some, to clear the clutter, to, to move some things aside every week at least once, to spend some time thinking deeply about your life. Um, maybe find a, a spot that you love, maybe your back porch early in the morning. Uh, maybe it's a spot by some lake or by the ocean. It could be a favorite coffee haunt. It doesn't matter where it is, but find a space and find yourself to reflect regularly about your life. And each week during the six-week series, we are going to offer you a little journal prompt that gets your juices flowing. So you can find those in the Inside Grace. You can find them online. You can find them on our app as well. So we're going to ask you, as you sit and think about your life, we're going to ask you to consider your life as a story. One that is written by an author and lived out by you, the main character of your own story. And as you consider your life, we're going to enter into a series that we're calling Life Punctuated. 
Because we know that the story we're living isn't simply one continuous run-on sentence, not just a a life that's lived with one 24-hour period of time strung together with another and another and another. But we understand that the author of our story punctuates our life with circumstances and events and rhythm, uh, carefully uh, putting significance and meaning into it uh, with careful punctuation. Now, in her New York Times bestselling book on punctuation, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. Can I say that again? The New York Times bestselling book on punctuation? Yes. The author, Lynn Truss, says this about the, the role of punctuation in a story or in a sentence. She says that punctuation is a courtesy that's designed to help readers understand a story without stumbling. Courtesy designed to help readers understand a story without stumbling. So punctuation helps to bring order and meaning to a string of words, and it keeps us as the readers from stumbling over just the words one in succession. So in the book, she uses an example of the power of punctuation. Are you ready? Uh, Here it is. She gives us a list of seven words strung together unpunctuated. And the words are these. A woman without her man is nothing. Now, unpunctuated, let's punctuate. A woman, comma, without her man, comma, is nothing, period. Now we understand the meaning of that sentence. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's punctuate it a little differently, shall we? How about this punctuating of it? A woman, colon, without her, comma, man is nothing. (laughs) I knew who would applaud. (laughs) So punctuation provides meaning and understanding to the words uh, that come to us in a string and to our days. That's how it is with the story of our lives. And times of reflection allow us to see the circumstances of our lives punctuated by things like exclamation points to show emotion and passion, question marks that when we find ourselves pressed for answers, Commas for rest and rhythm, quotation marks when we hear God speaking and when we find our own voice, periods that bring things to a close, and also mark that something else new is around the corner. And so during these next six weeks, we're going to offer you the opportunity to think about your life dot, 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 punctuated, okay? And to guide us each week, we're going to be looking at the lives of men and women of the Old Testament, uh, discovering that the stories of their lives are punctuated by the author as well. And today, we're going to kick it off by diving into the life of Moses. Now, Moses is one of the most, or the most, towering character in all of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, Now, when we think about Moses, we think about the man God used to free his people from from Egypt to free them from the bondage of slavery. And what we'll notice as we look closer at Moses' life is that Moses' life was punctuated by a season of parentheses. By a season of parentheses. I'll explain it a bit in a moment. When we first come across Moses' story in the early chapters of the book of Exodus, right from the very beginning of his life, we see that he is poised perfectly to become the person that God would use to deliver his people. Now, he was born into a very troubling time for the people of Israel. Uh, If you'll recall the events, you remember that a generation earlier or more, 
um, the people of Israel uh, during the time of Joseph came down from Israel during a, a season of famine and lived in Egypt. After the famine came and went, and after Joseph lived and died, a generation or so later, they're still living among the Egyptians down in Egypt. And uh, the Egyptians are beginning to see the descendants of Israel as a threat to their sovereignty because God has blessed the people of Israel. Uh, they are having children like crazy. They are growing in number and saturating the land. And so, fearful that Israel would ally themselves with Egypt's enemies, uh, the Pharaoh begins to round up the, the people of Israel and, and put over them taskmasters and, and calls them into the bondage of slavery. And so, at the time of Moses' birth, midwives were even asked to take the children of Hebrew women, the young boys who were born, and to throw them in the River Nile to begin to lessen the population of the people of Israel. And so it's into this time of peril that Moses is born. Now his life from very early days, it seems, is on this trajectory to become the leader of the people of Israel, to become the deliverer and rescuer. Uh, so we hear story, the story of Moses uh, very early. Mo many of us have heard the story where, where his, his handmaid had thrown him into the river uh, Nile, but instead of throwing him in without any uh, floating device, she places him in a basket and pushes him off into the river, following the letter of the law, but not quite the spirit. Now, when we hear that story, we have pictures, uh, if we've ever had kids in Sunday school, of those, that beautiful picture that our kids color, and they bring it back to our house of a little baby in a basket, uh, floating down the river, Moses is smiling, and the reeds behind him. But when the people of Israel heard this story, they had something very different in mind. Instead of hearing the word basket, like we hear, they would have heard it as it was spoken in the original Hebrew. And they would have translated, not basket, but ark. And it would have hearkened back to Noah and God's rescue of his family. Only two times in the Hebrew scriptures is this rendering of this word used. Noah's story and Moses' story. So very early, from uh, Moses' very beginning, he was identified as the one who would be the rescuer of God's people who God would use. So here it was. The baby then makes his way to Pharaoh's household, as you know. He's scooped up by one of Pharaoh's handmaids, one of the princess's handmaids, and seven, Acts 7.21 tells the story in brief as Moses makes his way into Pharaoh's household. Acts 7.21, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. And so not only was Moses' birth indicative of his trajectory of becoming a leader, Moses' upbringing was as well. He was, he was a child of the royal family, adopted into Pharaoh's household, given a new name to conform him uh, with Egyptian royalty and identity and lifestyle. Uh, he was nurtured in the court. No doubt he was given a, a grand, majestic suite, uh, tutored in custom and protocol, um, advised in culture, and instructed in the finest art of his day. 
Then he was likely trained in the best educational institutions of the day, the Oxford or Harvard of Egypt back then, of the ancient world. And his instruction would have included mathematics and astronomy and medicine and theology. And by the time Moses reaches his 40th birthday, the scripture says he became a man of power in words and deeds. He was well-respected by everyone around him. And it was assumed, historians say, that uh, he was likely being groomed to become the next pharaoh, the next king, to sit on the throne of Egypt. So a very impressive birth, a very impressive upbringing. Here was Moses, 40 years old, at the pinnacle of his ascendancy. And so from where he stood, it must have seemed perfectly positioned for him to be used by God in a very special way. It would have seemed a very small step for him to move from being who he was in Pharaoh's household to becoming the one called by God to become the deliverer of his people. Here he was a Hebrew growing up in the household of Pharaoh. Close enough to his own people to still see their, their treatment and their trouble, uh, to know it firsthand. Close enough to the machinery of power in Egypt to be able to do something about it when the time came. And close enough to God who had clearly been with him through all the stages of his life from the time of his birth. And so this, this narrative, this story of Moses' life is progressing very nicely. And it seemed like that next logical turn would be for him to just step into the role that he was primed for. But you know, that's not what happens with Moses. Instead, Moses moves into an unexpected season of parentheses. A season of parentheses. Now, parentheses in a sentence introduces a break in the flow of the sentence, of the narrative. Uh, you could jump over the parenthetical material and the sentence would still make sense. But you would miss out on what's in between the open and closed parentheses. Uh, something that will give meaning and significance and understanding to the rest of the sentence. So let's look at an example here again. Here's a sentence. Peter was beloved by his Uncle Ben. Now, that is a good sentence, and it tells us it's complete in and of itself. But let's, let's drop a parenthesis into this story. Peter, before he was bitten by the radioactive spider was beloved by his Uncle Ben. I did this for my son, Jonathan, who is a Spider-Man fan. Uh, now, there's a story in that parentheses. There's a break in the flow of the story, and there's a story within the parentheses. And so in life, there are these parenthetical seasons that may at first seem like non sequiturs as we make our way past the, the open parentheses and into the words that it contains, a sort of a halting of an action or a sudden turn. But in, in reality, there are important things between these parentheses. So consider a few more sentences, and maybe you'll get the picture, and maybe you can relate a bit. How about this sentence? Philip has grown in his ability to love broken people. And then let's drop a parentheses. Philip has grown in his ability mostly through the difficulties in his own life during the last four years, to love broken people. Or how about this? Susan learned to trust in the faithfulness of God. Drop the parentheses. Susan learned, even amidst the unsettling recession, 
to trust in the faithfulness of God. And one last one. Marta gained confidence and clarity and became the writer she always knew she could be. And once again, introduce the parentheses. Marta gained confidence and clarity, though the years of young motherhood threatened to steal her sanity, (laughs) to become the writer she always knew she could be. Well, you see, sometimes life gives you a parentheses drop. And Moses' parenthesis drop in the, in the middle of his story came at the end of his rise to ascendancy at 40 years of age. It came as an abrupt pause uh, as he entered into a season that came on him rather quickly. Exodus 2.11 tells us the beginning of the story. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Notice his delivering spirit and his rescuing heart at work. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. You see, it's at this moment that Moses takes matters into his own hands. Uh, He decided that maybe God wasn't acting fast enough. Maybe he needed to to act on this moment. Maybe it was just the heat of the moment. His his rage took the best of him and he made a rash decision. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now apparently it's a hard uh, ground to bury bodies deeply in because the sand uh, did not hide the body for long. Pharaoh discovered Moses' crime. Exodus 2.15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to, to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Open parentheses. And so begins the long 40-year parenthetical season for our hero Moses. 40 years in the Midian desert. The story goes on to say, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Jethro, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us And watered our flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And so Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Forty years of parentheses, feeling like an alien in in a foreign land. Now, life in the desert for Moses was very different than life in Egypt. And it was certainly a break in the flow of his trajectory, wasn't it? Uh, The events of those one hour, that one hour, drove Moses from prominence and prestige and opportunity to a place of isolation and obscurity and uncertainty. And it seemed like the winds of the leading of God had, had left his sails for this season. Like, what was God up to? Where was he taking Moses? In these verses, we see the prince become a shepherd. 
And the potential rescuer for Israel becomes, becomes a rescuer for a few shepherdesses at a dusty well in the middle of what seemed to be a God-forsaken desert 200 miles away from anything familiar for Moses. So he was once protected by the armies of Egypt. Moses now finds himself simply shielded by the hospitality of a stranger brought into his household. And so what does Moses do during this stretch, during this season? He settles in. He makes life there. He marries one of the shepherd's daughter. He has a couple of children. And he lives as an alien in a foreign land for 40 long years. Not quite what he had in mind, was it? I wonder if you have ever been there with Moses. If you have felt the trajectory of your life moving in a particular direction and then a parenthesis drops and you find yourself asking the question, what is this season all about? I experienced a season like that a, a few years back. Uh, I was um, making my way into the early part of my ministry. I was leading a, a youth ministry uh, at a church, and things seemed to be going really well for, for me and for the students there. Uh, the ministry was thriving. Uh, but it was a hard stretch. We entered a hard, difficult time, my wife and I, as we were struggling through a season of infertility, and we longed to have kids, and we were unable to conceive. A short time into my tenure at this church, um, my relationship with the senior pastor started to sour and get challenging. I wasn't quite able to put my finger on why, but he began to show a lack of confidence in me as a leader and in the work that I was doing. And I started to feel out of sorts and out of place. I started to double down on my efforts. I wanted to figure this thing out. What could I do to please him, uh, to learn from this experience and grow? But, but increasingly, our relationship started to go from bad to worse and to even worse. I found myself feeling like I was being unfairly evaluated. Some of you have been in a spot like that, where you felt like all your gifts are going unappreciated and all your areas of weakness are, are, are having a bright light shown upon it. Uh, so in the middle of this season, I had no idea what God was doing, where I was going to go from there. I started asking myself the question, am I really cut out for ministry? Is this what God is calling me to? Uh, was I gonna see myself through this season? What was going on? Was God trying to teach me something? I just didn't have answers. Things were challenge, challenging at work. I was experiencing disappointment with God in our family life, and it was all feeling very confusing because life had been moving forward in a particular direction for such a long time. But here's what I learned as I've taken some time to reflect on my life and to consider that season I learned that during that personal parenthetical season that, that my life and my experience was deepened in a variety of ways. First of all, I leaned into my relationship with Julie, my wife. As we made our way through those troubles in both directions, we found ourselves having long times of conversation where I felt supported and heard. She felt supported by me. And we grew in this grace and this love for one another in a relationship that has lasted me all these years and have been a significant source of confidence for me. God brought into our lives during that season some very good friends. 
We didn't share with them all the details of what was going on with us, but these friends have become good friends, that some of whom are still in our lives to this very day, life-giving people who have meant so much to us. God used that experience to help me be a better leader, I believe, to think about the groups of people that I'm responsible for and the individuals, to make sure that I value the, the, the things that they bring to the table and that I'm careful with their areas of weaknesses, that I nurture them well and love them into growth in ministry and in work. God also used that experience to give me a, a, a deep resolve to always look for the truth in any criticism that's directed towards me. I remember thinking, there must be something here, and I'm gonna not let my spirit be so crushed that I'm not gonna ask God to reveal to me the truth that might be in what is being spoken to me. I've taken that, that spirit, all the way through my journey. And then most importantly, I've learned that in any given situation, I need to be responsible and faithful to God for the simple things that are right in front of me, for the things that are right before me. And just as a parenthetical aside, years later, um, th that pastor and myself sat down over lunch and found a pathway to reconciliation and growth and healing. And God had get, has given me that gift as well. So God meets us in these times between the parentheses. And God met Moses there too. You see, Moses had wandered far enough away to hide from Pharaoh. But God knew exactly where Moses was. Moses may have felt that the desert of Midian was this lonely outpost far from the purposes of God, but Moses never left the center of God, God's purposes for those 40 years. God was at work in him. Moses may have seen himself in a, as an alien in a foreign land, but God used the dust of that desert to prepare Moses for his most important work yet. And when God saw that it was time for his people to be delivered from Israel... He knew right where Moses was because he'd been there with him all the time. And so the parentheses that opened abruptly closed rather abruptly as well. Uh, when God met Moses in the fire of the burning bush, God picking up where he left 40 years earlier, ready for Moses now to step into the role that he had been prepared for in his early years and that God was preparing for him during the years of the parentheses. Exodus 2.9 says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, God says, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is ready to move in Moses' life once again. And so the question, though, is what exactly were those 40 years all about for Moses? Why such a long stretch of parentheses? Well, could it be that the parenthetical season was the very place that God was doing his most important work in Moses' spirit? Could it be that God needed Moses to experience the dust in the desert before being ready to, to be the leader that God wanted him to be? Could it be that God's plan wasn't the same as Moses' plan? You see, God wasn't looking for a man on the inside of power, he was looking for a man on the outside. He wasn't looking for a, a man who knew the lessons of privilege. He was looking for a man who understood the realities of the harshness 
of life and things that can only be learned in obscurity. Could it be that God needed Moses to know what it was like to be an alien in a foreign land for a long time so that he would be ready to lead a people who had been aliens in a foreign land for generations? You see, it may have been for Moses that at 40 he was ready uh, to be a deliverer, but at 80 years old, he probably assumed he was all washed up. God had a different view of things. In God's eyes, at 40, he didn't think Moses was ready to be the leader that he needed. But at 80, God knew that Moses was the man for the moment. You see where we're going here? God is at work in the season of parentheses for Moses and for all of us. Maybe you're feeling that circumstances that you're facing right now are sort of causing you to scratch your head and ask, what exactly is God up to in my life, in my experience? Maybe you're in the midst of a season of parentheses right now. Be assured, God knows right where you are. Maybe you're wondering if anything can be redeemed from the experiences that you're, you're going through. Remember that God uses even the dusty trails in the desert to make us ready for what he has in store for us. It could be that you've seen your way through a season like this in the past. And, and, and you're asking God what it means for you. I would encourage you to consider what it was that God taught you during that season what are the experiences that you had then that maybe you can utilize for your good and the good of the lives of people around you in your experiences this day? And remember that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, yes, the God of Moses, is your God as well. And remember Moses standing there in the front of the bush on fire, barefoot and dirty, 80 years old, and God turning to him and saying, your story is not over. Now get up and let's go. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. God looking to you saying, your life, your experience, your story has not come to an end. There is more for you that I have in store for you. And so get up and let's move forward. And so as we close, I want to close with a simple statement of a big idea for this message, and it is this. A well-punctuated life embraces seasons of uncertainty, recognizing them as opportunities for God to shape us for the next chapter in our story. Do you believe that? Are you ready to embrace the possibility that the parenthesis season for you may have been used by God to prepare you for something that he has in store for you yet ahead? Remember, Moses wasn't finished until he was 120 years old. How about you? As I close, I'd like to invite you to stand with me, and I want to pray for you. If you would stand at all of the venues across our campuses, maybe God has got you this morning. He has spoken into your experience and has brought to light something that 
that you needed to hear. Maybe you're in one of those parentheses wilderness experiences and you needed to be reminded of the goodness of God and his constant care and attention over you. Maybe you've been through one and you need to look back and take some time to reflect and consider what it was that God has done in that stretch that he might use in you during this next chapter. Let me pray for you and ask God to be with you. Lord God, I do pray that you would be with every single person who is hearing my voice. God, that you would remind them that your spirit is at work, living and active and present, and that you meet us throughout our lives, that you work in us, that you make us ready for what you have next, that even in those places where we feel despairing and lost, and we wonder what is going on, that you know exactly where we are and you are present there with us. So Lord, for those who are hearing these words, who are in need of patience and perseverance and confidence, I ask that you would provide that right now. For those who have experienced the the out through the closed parentheses and are on the other side, I ask that you'd give them a sense of joy and gratitude but a great sense of appreciation for the places that you brought each one of us.